amen and amen. Thank you so much. If you're in the building, please be seated. If you're watching online, thank you so much for joining us. And um, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Jacques. And um, we, we're in a, in a series called Chapter 29. And we're also stopping for now on Acts chapter 8. So I'm going to be talking through Acts chapter 8 for, for just a little bit. But just, just once again, I must admit to you that um, this type of preaching really is an extremely difficult discipline for me. Um, I love topical preaching. I love to take a topic and then dive in and discover and grow and see what Scripture says from all over the Bible. So this is very challenging for me. So I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit this morning to lead me and also to be with you as you bear with me through Acts chapter 8. If you've, if, you've, um, if you've been a Christian for a while, you're going to see some things that are awesome and I think have significantly powerful truths for you in this chapter this morning. And if you're new to church, you're going to see some things or maybe hear some things that you think is strange, and that's okay. You're allowed to think we're strange. Just know that Jesus is awesome and that he loves you. So I've mentioned this before. I've got a diverse church background. When I became a Christian in high school, um, the first church I went to was a Dutch Reformed church, which is, a, which is a more traditional church, Afrikaans church, and I met a bunch of really amazing, godly people there, and then I had the opportunity to plug into the AFM, the Apostolic Faith Mission, Afrikaans, the AGS. Some of you might be familiar with this church, and this was definitely not as traditional as, as the previous church I'd been way more Pentecostal. This is the first time I was exposed to some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So in the morning I would go to the AFM, then in the evening all my Christian friends, young people, would go to the Assemblies of God. So, so, I've, so I've got this traditional uh, Dutch Reformed background, then I went to the AFM, then the OFM, no? O, Assemblies of God? OMG? O, how, how are we saying it? AOG. There we go. I'm testing you. I know the answers to this stuff. And now I'm at a Baptist church, so I feel a little bit like a reformed Pentebaptist this morning. But it was interesting in my, in my time in, the, in a Pentecostal church, how when I encountered the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how easy it was for me to run after the things of God and not directly after God. I remember the pastor was preaching one evening, and the first time I've seen someone get a word of knowledge, just looked at the lady in the front row, and he just shared something with her that none of us understood, but it was so directly specific for her that she started crying, and God did an amazing thing in her. And then I realized that I was searching for that kind of experience. I started searching an experience. I started loving sermons that almost prophetically spoke to my situation, you know what I mean? Like, like those messages that take you where you're at now in, in the desert place and then at the end of it you're in, in the, the promised land and, and overflowing. And those sorts of messages had a massive impact on me. I started loving that. And I discovered I didn't like the direct teaching so much. What I'm saying is this morning, it's not gonna be the prophetic message that speaks potentially into a dry season of your life. It's very much instruction from God, and I hope you receive it this morning, however the Holy Spirit leads you to receive it. Book of Acts. This is the second work that Dr. Luke, one of the disciples, produced. The first book he wrote was the Gospel of Luke. The second one he wrote was the Book of Acts. And this is an incredibly beautifully structured book. Beautifully structured. He actually intros this book with Acts 1 verse 8, and, he's, and he, he says this is sort of the essence of the, of the book. He tells us what the whole thing is about, and then the whole book is structured according to Acts 1, verse 8. And you may know Acts 1, verse 8. It says, you will receive, no, no, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, 
in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But I just want to pause there real quick. Scripture is very clear about you receiving power. And God's going to give you power, not for the sake of having power, but to be a witness. And I think the more we witness, the more we will see the power. The original word for power there is dynamos, where we get the word dynamite from. So when you receive power, Scripture says, you'll receive dynamite power to witness. Not just witness anywhere, but everywhere. In Jerusalem, then to Judea, then further north to Samaria, and then further south to the ends of the earth, Gaza, which we'll get to in, this, in the structure of this book a little bit later. So as you sit here this, this morning, if you're a believer, Scripture says you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're filled with power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The power that can turn a serial killer like Saul into a Christian, apostle, preacher of the word like Paul. That's the same person. Same power that raised Jesus from the, from the dead dwells in you. So let's get to Acts chapter eight. So the whole book, the first part of the book of Acts was, we read a lot about Peter and the message that he preached, okay? So wherever Peter went, miracles and signs would follow. It was amazing. He would preach the name of Jesus. It was very important for them to preach the name of Jesus because the first portion of the book of Acts, they were preaching to the Jewish nation. So they were trying to help them understand who Jesus really was, that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. So whenever they preached in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus means God saves, God saves. And not only does God save, but Jesus is in fact the person who saves, and you've rejected him. So whenever they preached, they preached whenever you hear that in the name of Jesus, they were preaching to the Jewish nation, especially in the first chapters in the book of Acts. Then there's like this little, little space in between before we get to the next big sort of preacher in the book of Acts, which is Paul. Last week we heard um, a message about a guy named uh, Stephen and how he became the first martyr. And today we're going to look at a man named um, Philip and what happened with Philip's ministry. So Acts chapter one, verse one. And Saul approved of their killing him. So it's talking about Stephen. So it's saying Saul approved that they were gonna kill Stephen. Then it says, on that, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried, uh, buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged, uh, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So just, re- just pause there real quick. Verse one, they scattered and went where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But I want you to pause for a moment on on this, what Saul did. This passage said he destroys the church. It's very easy just to quickly brush over this verse and not, not linger there for a moment. I want you to place yourself in the early church for a, for a second. Can you imagine sitting in life group, maybe worshiping, maybe praying for one another, sharing a meal. Then the next moment, violently, someone breaks into your home while you're sitting there, maybe with friends and family and your children. Then they drag you off, literally drag you off and take you to prison because you were worshiping Jesus, the Savior of the world. Verse four. So those who had been scattered preached 
the word wherever they went. I was going to say it right in the beginning. This message this morning again is not going to be, I don't think, a prophetic breakthrough for you. The message this morning is this verse, Acts 1 verse 8 and again in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You and I have been scattered. I live in Durban North. Some of you live in Pinetown. We are scattered. And we should be preaching wherever we go. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he had performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Wherever the gospel is preached, there should be great joy. The gospel brings great joy. That's the bottom line. Whether we're seeing healings or not, we're seeing demons cast out and shrieking or not, the gospel brings great joy. And I think if we forget what the gospel truly means, we won't have joy. I think it's possible to, to, to be a child of God and to know who Jesus is, but not to experience the joy of the gospel because we forget what the gospel is. The gospel is this. Every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. We are sinners, impure, don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve it. Neither of us. Not even Bishop John Ben. Not really called Bishop if you're watching online. None of us deserve it. Yet, because of Jesus, we get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. That's the gospel. If you understand that your sins has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. If you can understand that nothing can separate you from God's love. The joy, at least for the gospel, should fill you in your heart, just like it filled the city there. The book of Acts is, I'm going to be talking about five major sections, okay? So the first one was the persecution of the church, and how when the persecution came, the scattering came, and then the multiplication and church growth happened on, a, on an extremely mega scale. Second part, Philip's ministry in Samaria. That's from verse four to verse eight. That's what I just read. So Philip preaches in Samaria. Remember what Acts 1 verse 8 says. You'll be my witness in Jerusalem. Below that, Judea. Slightly above that, south, Samaria. Then he says to the ends of the earth. We're going to get to the ends of the earth now. Look at what Philip is doing here. He's preached in Jerusalem. He's preached in Judea. And then he goes to Samaria. So the Samaritans were in conflict with the Jews. And it wasn't just because of racial tension. Without a shadow of a doubt, there was racial tension. Without a shadow of a doubt. But that's not where it came from. The Samaritans and the Jews were once one nation. They were the nation of God, the Israelites. And as they escaped Egypt when they were slaves, at some stage they split. Going to the promised land, they split. Some tribes, there were 12 tribes. Some tribes went north. They were called, the, they were called Israel. Some tribes went south. They were called Judah. Now, the tribe of Israel were constantly messing up. Constantly, Gentiles would come over and persecute them. And that's what happened to the Israelites again. They were in the north, northern area. Persecution came, they left, they came back to their land. But because they'd left, Gentiles had populated the area. They then mixed with Gentiles. And the Jewish people felt, from the south, from Judah, felt that they were half-breeds. 
They developed a hate towards the Samaritans. The Samaritans developed a hate towards the Jewish nation. Remember Jesus shared a story about a Samaritan man called the Good Samaritan. Very simple story. Two religious leaders sees a man who was beat up almost to death, looks at him, walks past him, does nothing. Children of God. And eventually the Samaritan, who the Jewish people hates, shows up and treats this man as the previous two religious leaders should have and pays for all his expenses at the end. Jesus speaks about a nation that needs to be reached. These half-breeds, as the Jewish nation would have referred to them. So we see this message being preached to Jerusalem, Judea, and then to Samaria. Then later on, God calls Philip to do an incredible work on the ends of the earth. We're going to get to that in a moment. Third part, third thing I want to speak about is Simon the sorcerer. We read about that in verse 9 right up to verse 25. Now listen to this. This is one of those things I mentioned earlier on that might seem strange to you. Okay, so let's read this. Verse nine, now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with the sorcery. Verse 12, But when they, the Samaritans, believed, believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news, the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. Now can I just pause on Simon the sorcerer for just a little bit? Are you guys also feeling hot? Is it just me because I'm on fire? (laughs) So Simon the sorcerer. So I think it would be very easy and tempting for us to dismiss this word sorcerer as a, um, like David Blaine, someone who does a bit of a few tricks, like someone who pulls their thumb off magic. I think very easily it'd be to say, listen, this is just someone who's an illusionist. But can I just pause there for a moment? I'm gonna take you to a passage in Deuteronomy 18, okay? It speaks directly to this kind of thing. I don't think it was just, I don't think someone was just a illusionist. It's impossible that all of the people looked up at him and thought he was the great power of God. And God speaks directly to what this verse calls sorcery. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse nine. When you enter the land the Lord is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Talking about detestable ways. Now there's a list gonna come about all these things that are detestable to God. Verse 10. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in fire who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or cast spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. All these things are detestable to God, so much so that he has to speak to it directly. I think one of the, the greatest lies the enemy has told us that he doesn't exist or that he's powerless. Yet, This passage names Simon the sorcerer specifically. A man who did things that were detestable to God. Who is your Simon the sorcerer this morning? If I could ask you an Acts 29 question. 
Those of you who don't know, the book of Acts only has 28 chapters. 29 is now. Whenever Christians live after that time, it's Acts 29. We ask you a question for now, how to apply this passage. Who is your Simon the sorcerer? Who is this evil person that you think doesn't deserve the gospel or shouldn't be in church with you this morning? All of us have a certain sin that we think is the most evil sin in the world and we don't want those people to receive the gospel. Or we won't actually say that maybe, but, but you don't actually think they can even be saved. This man believed and was baptized. Who is your Simon the sorcerer? This message this morning is about you needing to preach the gospel wherever you go. Very simply put, Acts 1 verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, 15, preach the gospel to every creature. Clear message, clear commissioning. And the early church did it wherever they went, even in the midst of persecution. The gospel was preached. There was a revival multiplication, massive church growth. Who is your Simon the sorcerer who God is challenging you to preach to? Can you imagine what revival would look like today? This persecution caused a revival. I wonder if we ask an Acts 29 question, what would cause revival today, I wonder? We know a persecution caused revival in the early church. Should we be praying for persecution? Should we be praying for revival? Yes. Should we be praying for Simon the sorcerer to receive Jesus? Yes, they're all over. Everywhere we go. Should we be praying for the Samaritans? Samaritans are people that we don't have a great relationship with. In fact, we detest them. We hold a grudge against them. Who are you holding a grudge against this morning? This grudge is preventing you from preaching the gospel unforgiveness. Who is your Samaritan? Who should you be preaching the gospel to, but you cannot because of your unforgiveness? Can I just take a moment and ask you, at the very least, choose to forgive them in your heart. Forgiveness is a choice, it's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice. Lord, I choose to forgive them. I choose to release them. The same way you chose to forgive me, even though I didn't deserve it, I choose to forgive them. At least just make that choice. I think that's a good place to start. Then let God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, start doing a miracle inside of you, help you receive healing so that you can be effective in expanding the kingdom of God. Philip and the Ethiopian, that's the fourth section I wanna share with you about. Verse 26 says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south. Remember he's preaching Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now he's asking him to go south to Gaza. So he started out on his way to, and met an Ethiopian, an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of Ethiopia. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way, on his way home, he was getting in, sorry, can I, can I read that again? This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So this is a chariot that's moving, I'm guessing, not at a super slow pace. 
Philip then was instructed by the Holy Spirit to catch up with his chariot. Now, I'm just trying to picture this because he doesn't apparently have a car or a chariot. So he was apparently on foot. Then Philip, I love this verse there. I find it funny. I don't know why. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading the Isaiah, uh, the book of Isaiah, the prophet. So Philip runs up to this moving chariot, catches up with him. I see like this, this you know, the flash. See this, like the flash picture running up to this guy. He stops and he says, while he's running, he says, I hear you reading the book of Isaiah. And then Philip's asking him a question. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of the scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led. This is a passage in Isaiah 53. He was led like a, like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of the of this, who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from him, from this earth. For his life was taken from this earth. Jesus' his life was taken from this earth. Up until this point, we keep hearing the message preached the name of Jesus. Remember, he was preaching to the Jews. The name of Jesus means God saves, God saves. For the first time, we don't hear so much about who. We get a glimpse into what Jesus did. Isaiah 53 speaks specifically about Jesus and his crucifixion and what the blood means for you and me. Blood means we have forgiveness of sin. Now listen to what happens in verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? So we don't know exactly what Philip was teaching him, but we know for a fact it must have included some of, something of the baptism. And we see this, this level of obedience that is mind-blowing. First of all, from Philip. So Philip just had this church plant, right? He, was, he launched this mega church just a, just, a few, just a little bit earlier in the passage. Multitudes listened and, res, and gave their lives to Jesus and were baptized. Very successful ministry. Then Jesus, the Holy Spirit, says to him, listen, I want you to, to not be there anymore. Leave this mega church and go south. Go to Gaza, where you will meet an Ethiopian man. Leave this church, this mega church, and go find one man. And he does. He obeys. God speaks, and he obeys. See, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that the Holy Spirit still speaks to us today in the same way he spoke to Philip. The question is, are we listening? When the Holy Spirit prompts you to pray for someone, are you praying for them? When you walk into a restaurant and the Holy Spirit prompts you to share your faith, do you obey like Philip did? Do you leave the mega church or the comfort maybe of your table? Do you obey? You'll receive power to do so and you have. Will you do it? Will you obey when Jesus calls you to go? So he preaches to this eunuch, tells him about Jesus. Jesus was crucified. Tells him about the blood of the lamb, how Jesus was raised from the dead. Then he said, I wanna be baptized because Jesus was raised from the dead and baptism is a symbol of that. We died to ourselves. We get raised to life again. We are born again, a brand new creation. The baptism symbolizes that. So as this Ethiopian man gets baptized, he's saying, publicly saying, I'm wanting to die to myself, wanting to be buried with Jesus, and I want to be raised to life with Christ. And as they come up out of the water, Philip disappears 
He's gone. Can you imagine that happening in real life? We've got baptisms happening next week, so if you want to get baptized, please do so. Next week, we're going to be doing it here. Can you imagine? I want you to picture this. Imagine being in the water. The next moment, someone's baptized. They come up out of the water, and the baptizer is gone. (laughs) Gone. Because of his obedience, he was willing to go anywhere the Holy Spirit took him. Verse 40 says, Philip, however, so he was was taken away. Then Philip appeared in, uh, in Azotus. And traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. There's a level of obedience here that I think we all need to strive for. We're talking about seeing a revival. I pray that we would never see the kind of persecution that the early church saw. You should be praying with me. But while we're praying that persecution wouldn't come, Why don't we also pray for revival? The world is perishing around us because people haven't heard the gospel of Jesus. If you have your Bible here, if you have your Bible here, especially if you've got one of the newer translations, like contemporary English version or um, English standard version, or even the NIV, if you've got that here, quickly open it and go to verse 37, if you can. If you don't have it, that's fine. I'm not gonna ask you to read it out loud. I just want you to look at it physically. The newer translations, for some reason, I've got the NIV with me and you're also reading from the NIV on the screen. The newer translations, for some reason, don't have verse 37. It's gone, it's not there. I'm gonna read verse 37 to you from New King James Version. Verse 37 says, then Philip said, he's speaking to to the Ethiopian, okay? Ethiopian says, I wanna be baptized. Then Philip says to him this. Then Philip said, if you believe with your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We see a shift in just knowing who Jesus is and believing and surrendering your life to Jesus. Romans verse 9, Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the message. That's the message. You cannot earn the salvation. It's impossible. Even Simon the sorcerer, he's used to power, used to supernatural power. He shows up at this church. People are being healed. Sick people are walking. People are being filled with the Holy Spirit. He is so impressed with the power of God that he says, I'll give you money, Peter and John, to purchase this power. I just want to have this power. Peter says to him, not a chance. You cannot buy the filling of the Holy Spirit. You cannot purchase your salvation. In the same way you cannot pay money for your salvation, you also cannot earn your salvation. There's no good work that you can do that can get you into heaven. Not one. How do we get it? I'm gonna read it to you again. Verse nine. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what repentance looked like looking at living according to your own kingdom, the kingdom of this world, when you declare that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, repentance means I literally turn away from the old world and turn towards God by believing in Jesus. Everyone, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then can they call on the one if they have not believed, if they have, if they have not believed in. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear if someone is not preaching to them? 
How can the world get saved if someone is not preaching to them? I remind you of Acts 1 verse 8. You have received power because the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be a witness in Westville, in Durban, in South Africa, and to the ends of the world. You have received power. You have received the power to do so. You just need to obey and say, yes, Lord, I will go. Yes, Lord, I will go. Can I take a moment and pray for you? Father, there are many reasons I choose to disobey you. Sometimes I'm afraid. As simple as that. Sometimes I'm afraid to preach the gospel because I feel I'm incompetent. I don't know enough of the Bible. We don't need to know enough of the Bible. All we need to know is that Jesus saves. Through his blood, we are purified. We need to surrender our lives to him, and he purifies us. He cleanses us white as snow. Don't need to know anything more than that to start with. At least start there. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we declare that we do not have a spirit of fear, but of love and of strength and of a sound mind. No longer will the enemy paralyze me with fear. I reject fear right now in Jesus' name. I choose to, wherever I go, preach the gospel. Father, this evening, uh, this morning, as I stand before you, I recognized that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've received dynamite power to go and preach the gospel. And I know that when this happens, I will see that power being manifest and people will get saved and people will be transformed and they will repent. They will turn away from the kingdom of this world and turn towards you. That is the power of the gospel. And Simon the sorcerer will be saved. And the Samaritans, all those people who I have grudges against, will be saved. Even those to the ends of the earth, the Ethiopian, will be saved. Father, I pray for this church family. Pray that we would that you would guide us, that you would that you would show us who we can invite to church, who we can preach the gospel to, and that we would have the faith and the courage to obey you, just like Philip did in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen and Amen. Hope to see you guys next week. And um, I trust that you're gonna preach the gospel to at least one person or to multitudes, and that the church is gonna be full <laughs> next week. And then online's gonna multiply, right? Love you guys. Thank you so much for joining us online. Thank you for being here in person. Looking forward to seeing you next week. Have some good lunch. Have a good rest. See you soon.